Amen. So in this uh, message tonight, my uh, heart is uh, heavy uh, because uh, when, you begin to, when you begin to look and see the world in which we live today, uh, you could say, where is our hope? It appears that our world today is, and I'll use this term, out of control. It seems like, as a minister of the gospel and been in the ministry for 40 plus years now, that I've watched the ebb and flow of, of methods and watched the ebb and flow of church and commitment and faithfulness. I, I've watched it over the years, and uh, it's not getting better. It's getting to the place that as a culture that sometimes, a lot of times, is ungodly. And when I use the term ungodly, I want you to understand what I mean. Ungodly means they have no regard for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When I use the term, do not mistake it to be a religious term. Well, everybody's got a dose of religion. Religion will trick you into believing in a falsehood that everything is okay we are not to judge. Why? Judge not that ye be not judged. That's not what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to take people to task with a condemning tone in our voice about the sins that, that they, have, they have committed. He that is without sin, what do you do? Cast the first stone. You go ahead. You know, we understand that we're not supposed to do that. He that let him cast the first stone if you're without sin. No, you can't. There nobody cast the stone. So we understand that our only hope, uh, our only hope is Jesus Christ. You believe that? You're going to have to help me a little bit. It's only Jesus Christ. The institution, organism that Jesus chose to filter his good news is through the church through the church. The church has a legitimate place in the heart of God. Why? Because it is the bride of Christ. So when I hear people often will say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't want to have anything to do with church. You see, you're not able to do that scripturally because you know, if you're in love with Jesus, you're going to be in love with his church. Y'all with me? Help me out. I understand in my life that sometimes one day life is great and the next day the sky can fall in on you. Understand that one day you can be a single and before you know it, life will turn around and, and you're married and one day you're married and before you know it, that death-like experience called divorce hits you and you think, how did this ever happen to me? One day you don't have any children and the next day you find out you're going to be a parent and not only you have one or two and you think, in other words, what I'm saying is a day can change almost as if a day at any given moment in time. If I were to ask all of you, how many of you have had all your ambitions and all your expectations met uh, probably uh, not many of you would be able to raise your hand 
uh, and, and yet understand how many have had disappointments, how many run into roadblocks, how many have had situations where things did not turn out the way that you thought they should. You see, the coming generation, which is the millennial generation that is not coming, they are here right here and right now. They're one of the uh, challenging generations today, all good, the millennial generations, but their ideology, of course, is radically different from what those who are in the baby boomer uh, mentality, it's radically different. And yet part of the church, the church has to figure out how do we minister to the mentality of a millennial and at the same time uh, manage everybody else and endeavor to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just different, different philosophy. Um, I came from a background, and in our church, we believe that, hey, uh, we, don't, we just don't drink. You don't imbibe any alcohol. That's not the way many millennials feel. They said, don't even touch that subject. I was in a debate the other day with someone, don't touch it, because we believe that that's cool and that's okay. And don't talk to us about faithfulness and obedience to the church. The church is a place where you come and you get a watering hole, but churches often are irrelevant. And that often is a mentality of the millennial. Well, what do you do? You just wash your hands of that group and say no more because the reality is they are a generation that is growing in, uh, in generational populace. So a- as a minister, I've come to the realization that that, wow, there are some things that, that you look at that you stood firm for, and um, the world challenges you on your belief system. And uh, we know that one day it's going to make a difference because one day Jesus Christ is going to come again. And in this segment, Jesus is sharing with his disciples and teaching that is direct and it's intended to get their attention. I want you to wake up. Now, Right now, they're all in. I mean, they're all in. But some circumstances is going to come as it relates to Peter, as it relates to Judas. Some circumstances is going to come because the reality is it was not the Roman contingent that created the furor to crucify Jesus Christ. It just happened to be a group of those who had heard him teach And individuals that were afraid of their lives and got caught up in the emotion of the moment, and they're the ones who cried, crucify him, crucify him. So if you ask yourself this question, how is it possible that the very people that Jesus associated and were in fact related to were the very ones that said, crucify him? If you look at that today, you got to say, well, wow, it happened then and how, how is it that the church gets together today and that we come to a common conclusion, this is what we believe? Now, Victory Church, has uh, we have some fundamental truths that we believe in. You can go online, pull it up. It's all there. Those are core values of our church, of what we really do believe that gives us guidance. And so we try to live out those core values. We don't go around as a church pointing our people at, or pointing our finger at individuals and saying, we're going to judge you. That's not our goal. It's not my goal. We don't go around condemning people because that's not the kind of life that Jesus wants us to follow. 
but you can have the opportunity to preach the truth, the unadulterated truth, as the Word of God reveals it with a core value system. Now, if I were to bring up certain subjects in this room right now, I promise you we would have disagreement among the group in the house right now because we have different systems that we are influenced by. Matthew 30 or 24, 36 says, Now, while you're thinking about that and while you're wondering who's right and who's wrong, and while you're wondering about, wow, is there any hope, he said, no man knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, when in fact Jesus is going to return again. Nobody knows. So if I read that correctly, if I read that correctly, then wouldn't you agree, let's see if we can agree with this, that we ought to live our lives as close to the Word of God as we possibly can in as much as we don't know when the Lord is going to return again. How many would agree with that? Say amen. That if we believe that, we ought to live our lives as close to this Word as we possibly can. And here's another thing. If we believe that, wouldn't you think that the Bible says that love your enemies as yourself, love the Lord uh, your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor, etc., then wouldn't you believe that we ought to be practicing what Jesus gave us commission to practice, and that is to reach lost people for the good news of Jesus Christ, to reach them. Would you agree with that? That we should be about reaching lost people. Victory Church, as you saw this morning, and sidewalk to know Christ and make Him known in everything that we do and all the programs that we are doing, our goal is to reach lost people. Now, if you were to ask me, do I believe that the majority of the 6,000 plus people who claim Victory Church as their home are practicing that faith, then I would tell you absolutely not. But we keep trying. Amen? We keep preaching and we keep believing. So I want to share with you just in our heart of hearts because this message really, if I, can, if I can reveal my heart, it really got me down as I began to do just a little bit of research. I thought, God, I've given my life. Sharon, we've given our life to the ministry of the church today. And the reality is, God, are we preaching against a block wall? Because when you see how people begin to behave in a way, respected people, you think, oh, God, help us all. All right, so here we go. There is confusion. It's Jesus teaching in Matthew 24, 38. And now he's talking about out of an old, the Old Testament, an act. For in the days before the flood, before judgment came, he said people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, up to the day, really up to the hour that the door closed. People up till that time, they were living pretty well about any way that they wanted to live. And there was only one voice that was preaching righteousness, only one voice that was declaring, you better get right, only one voice and that one voice was squashed 
by the desire of that generation of people alive then, leave us alone. He notes eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and he's saying, okay, in other words, carnality ruled. So if I ask you in your mind, in your thought process, that if you believe the world and the culture in which you live, that carnality rules more than spiritual dimensions rule, I I think we'd probably fall on the side and say, yeah, we think people are more caring about themselves, more caring about what they want, more caring about what they think's right, and don't want to hear a preacher or anyone else give them a, a gospel that differs with their opinion as it relates how to live their life. I don't want to tell anybody how to live their life, but I want to tell the Word of God because the Word of God tells us how we ought to behave and how we ought to live. Carnality ruled, and when carnality rules, it's self-will. It not only is that, it's seekers of pleasure more than righteousness. It's motivated by greed. It's moral discipline with disregarded, a disregarded, it's conscience that literally is seared. And so when you look today and you begin to read You say, when man's carnal nature rules in any culture, it means that all spiritual restraints are removed from a person or a nation. When when we say, I don't want a restraint to hold me back, I want to live like I desire to live. I really want the core value. One of those core values, we know they're very simple, is get devotions and pray and go to church and be faithful to God in your giving and witness. Tell people about the love of God and let that be a priority of your life. Let me say to the men in this church, men, you are going to stand accountable before God first. You, as a man and as a father, will stand accountable first to God for the way that you led your family spiritually, the way that you prioritized your life, the way that you brought encouragement and direction and wisdom to your wife and to your children, you will stand before God in a, in a way that will be unbelievable. And God will say, I gave you a steward responsibility. Let me ask you this question. Does your kids believe and does your wife believe that Jesus Christ is first in your family? Is it first? Here's what the enemy does. The enemy crowds us because if God is first in our lives, there are things in culture that we have to say no to. You cannot mix and say, all right, here's what I want. I want God and I want his favor, but I, I want you to know. How do, how do people know what your priorities are unless you're willing to sacrifice for them? You can write that down, put it on Facebook, Twitter, Tweety, anybody else. How will people know what your priorities are unless you're willing to sacrifice for them. And when you sacrifice for them, people understand they really believe and stand for that. Self-willed, seekers of pleasure more than righteous and motivated by greed. Motivated by greed, moral discipline was disregarded. Conscience was seared, and we understand that. And we look today, and we know that when that carnal nature rules, And there is no correction. Where does the correction come from? Where does culture, where does culture get its instruction? I believe, and I believe that I can prove it from the Word of God, that majority of culture gets their 
directive about how to live and what's value right straight out of Hollywood, right straight out of the news media, right straight out. I'm not saying fake news, etc. What I am going to say, what I am going to say that more people are led astray because of what they believe and what they hear that is negative, that has nothing to do with the Word of God. And we do not take the time to discern what the truth is. Discern what the truth is. If we fail as a church, if I get up here and say anything goes, I can tell you of this hipster, hipster pastor. There's a picture of him right there from the Christian News. He's called a hip, hipster pastor. Says he launches a late night comedy show. Here's what it says about him. A post as hipster, hipster pastor. Hipster pastor. I can say it. He said, the weekly broadcast uses satire and strong language to make a mockery of sin in an effort, they say, to rival secular entertainment and engage the culture with the gospel. So I'm, I'm going to use strong language, and I dug a little deeper. I'm going to make a mockery of sin. I'm going to use strong language, curse words, in order to say, I, I think this is correct. Now listen, friend, Jesus didn't need to use the curse words to get his message across. It came across in the power of love. Amen? In the power of love. Here's what I found out, that Jesus Christ can be so real to us in the society in which we live that, my friend, you don't, you don't need anything else. So let me, let me move ahead. We, we understand that in the world in which we live today, all right, we understand that homosexuality is a sin. We believe that. We believe that it is a sin. We believe that the behavior, we all know that. We believe that drunkenness is a sin. We believe that taking dope, drugs, is a sin. Hello? Y'all with me? It's a sin. Just a sin. According to why? Because be ye holy as I am what? Holy. Be holy as I am holy. And then you, you understand as you look at that, but now, can we separate, can we separate the sin of homosexuality while at the same time, so okay, sisters or brothers, those individuals that are engaged in homosexuality, can we, can we, all right, I know what your sin is, but is it possible in the confines of your Christian love, are you able to say, I don't agree with your sin, but I want you to know that I love you. Do we have the ability to do that? Do we have the ability to hate the sin and love the individual? It's okay. All right? Now, if that's true, how many of you know when somebody does not like you? Come on, get your hand up. How many of you know when somebody's stiff arm in you? Hello? How many of you know when a person really does appreciate you? Here is the dilemma that we often face. The dilemma is this. We're going to love, we're going to love the homosexual person, all right? We hate the sin, all right? We good? 
Everybody good? Now, here's the question then. Then if you are practicing homosexuality, are you going to heaven? Now, listen carefully. There is a great divide in Christianity today in that question. A great divide. For the argument is this. Y'all with me out there? The argument is this. If you say that you love them, if you say that you love them, is it possible that in that homosexuality, which could be a sickness, do you think God can say, okay, I, I forgive you, I forgive you, I love you, and I still realize you are practicing your sin? You with me? So here's the question. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm really taking that towel and wringing the water out, okay? Well, then how does God put up with some of us and our sin? Because some of us in this room have sins that have been with us for years and years and years and years and years, and we've never done anything about it. Well, what are you advocating, Pastor, at this point? This is what T.D. Jake said. T.D. Jake said, and it's quoted in the Christian News and on a television program that he was in, he says, my ideology is evolving regarding this thing of homosexuality. I'm not there yet. I'm telling you that here's what I believe with all of my heart. I believe the sin is wrong. I believe that. I believe it's against God. I believe God hates it just like he does lying, just like he does cheating, just like he does stealing, just like he does anything else. I believe that God hates it with all of my heart. And I believe that a person, this is what I believe, who might be engaged in practicing homosexuality knowing that that is a sin, but in their mind they have been persuaded by the community of gay and lesbians that it is it's just an act that, that, that the chromosomes were messed up, and that's okay. Here's what, I, here's what I do believe. I believe that if a person is practicing in homosexuality or any other sin, when they fall in love with Jesus Christ, behold, the things that are contrary to what God hates will disappear, and they in turn will begin to follow the Lord with a clean heart. Are you all with me? But, but, listen carefully, Summit, don't send me an email. But here's what I know. I think we're going to have to be patient and let God work us through the process to love people that we think have no right in the kingdom of God. Is that okay? Okay? Homosexuality is wrong. Homosexuality. Now, I believe a person that's practicing it has a heart problem with Jesus if they simply want to accept that behavior and not desire to change. But that's true for your lying. True for your stealing. It's true for anything. So we have a long 
way to go. When I read, I could not get my head wrapped around T.D. Jakes when he made that statement until I, I began to dig deeper. But I can tell you there are no superstars in Christianity anymore very few superstars in my opinion. I'm going to give you my opinion here, and we'll just, I'll step right over here from behind the pulpit. I think Billy Graham was a superstar as it relates to a man of God and the word evangelism. I really do. But I believe a whole lot of other people that God is gifted with a platform is missing the mark. Hello? Missing the mark. Let me say to you that T.D. Jakes is not going to get you and me to heaven. And Rick Warren is not going to get us to heaven. And none of the others are going, I'm not going to get you to heaven. Here's what I know. Knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the only thing that is going to get you to heaven. So then when I read, when I read, when I read articles, like, for example, Paula White, who marries the rocker Jonathan Cain in his third marriage. He's 65, she's 49, and he's a rocker with Journey. And he plays in Vegas, Vegas, and he has a wine and a, and a beverage company. And she's so enamored with, with that. And as he plays in Vegas and all the language and all the music, she texts, I, I know you will rock it tonight. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying... That those of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior need to be able to live in a way that we try not to bring question about how we live. I don't know anybody perfect, except Sharon, of course, <laughs> and her mother. Are you all with me? I'm, I'm just really trying to be transparent with you. I don't want you to misread anything that I'm saying. There was a time that Paul was debating on whether or not women ought to cover up their head in church. You remember that? That was a big issue. Whether they ought to cover up their head in church. He was dealing with that issue. Prostitutes were getting saved right and left. Hallelujah. But they'd come in with braided hair and come in with their culture in which they were raised in. They weren't schooled in the church, weren't schooled in Christianity. They were, they'd made their living by, by night, engaging in all kinds of sexual activity. But God really redeemed them. And let me say that when he did, they turned from their wicked way and began to follow Jesus Christ. But it became a big issue for some. But in that day, it was a debatable issue. Well, guess what? We don't have to deal with that today. Did you know that? We don't worry about I don't see women walking here with hats all over the place. I see a couple of wigs from time to time. It's your prerogative. Nothing wrong with that. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. We can get carried away with all the periphery issues and lose focus of the core value of what we believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. 
No man can come to the Father except through Jesus. That no matter what the world says, except other religions. I want to tell you, and according to the Constitution, we know that people have the right for their own religious choosing. But I also have my right to stand up as a Christian and say, this is the way, walk ye in it, and this is the way in which the Bible says that a man can come to redemption, and it is through Jesus Christ. And when you see incidences that took place, the white supremacist, the Ku Klux Klan, and the Nazi party, any of the others, those belief systems come right out of the pit of hell. It is wrong with hatred and bitterness. It is wrong that I'm going to raise up my organization and I'm going to make you fall in line based on my opinion. Bless God, get the book out and read it. It has the power to change all of us. Are you with me? So when I see that, I think, wow, that's unbelievable. I had a minister and I asked him the question who said, my political views does not engage my religious views. In other words, my, my political views can be different of what I believe politically and does not necessarily deem to need to connect to my religious and my spiritual, spiritual views. That is insanity. How do you live if you are not guided by some core value? And we choose to believe that it is the book. So we know that, that we've done a lot of things to become a little bit cold and indifferent. Christians watch all the same movies that non-Christians watch. They do. We do. There's no separation. Christian activities and behavior engage in about the same behavior far too often of non-Christians. And if you look at the world and say, what makes you different? There ought to be something in us today that is sacred and holy that says, God, I don't want to live close to the edge. I want to live so close to you that, that, that disdain and the lack of holiness, I, I want to stay away from that. I want to live in a way that there is no question about who I am in Jesus Christ, of who I am. All I want, friend... What I want is just people, if you never shouted and if you never praised, if you get up and live right all week long and you never rate and you came back here and said, buddy, I gave God everything I got, I say kudos to you because what happens today is people watch the way that we live. But he said in this day, he said, there's a lot of things that take place that were being done before the flood, Newsweek article said, whatever it takes to do the deal, just do it. First John 2.16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. What's James do? He describes worldliness. And this is, says, this is what he says, flesh is sensual. Have you looked on television at some of the commercials that come on of future programs that are coming? Do you, do you look at that and you think, my gracious alive, what in the world is going on? 
How do we get away with that kind of stuff? And yet, people in droves, the eyes, the imagination. That's another thing related to the pride of life, which is greed. James says in 4.4, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Do we believe that? That I, I want a little dab? Hatred toward, toward God is when you have friendship with the world? This world is not my home. I'm not looking for a way to compromise in the way that I live. Are y'all you, you with me out there? As we understand, I'm not looking for that. So what's Victory Church? What is our posture? We want to tell those kids inside of Walk Sunday School, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Come watch us live. We want to tell our neighbors, watch us. Because when it comes time to be in the house of the Lord, you're going to see us driving out. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand. The culture's changing. Oh, I watch it change. I'm watching it change. I believe it's changing. It means more in love with this world than with God, willing to sacrifice less for God's work. What do you, I say, what do you owe God? Well, I don't owe God anything, really. He didn't charge you for your salvation. But do you think that it would be nice if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be obedient to what God says? You ought to be obedient, just obedient. As we understand the power of that obedience, here's what he said, be careful or your hearts will be, in Luke 21, 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighted down in dissipation, drunkenness, and anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Now, we have civil uprising in America. When you begin to see a voice against authority, you begin to realize we have major problems. Well, where does it start? At home. When you see the manifestation of the lack of respect for authority in the public square, it starts in the home. Moms and dads, they're in, listen carefully, is the sad tragedy an outburst of broken families today. Broken families. Children many times don't know where they're going to spend next Tuesday night, whether at mom's or dad's. And that's such a tragedy. It hurts. And we're not condemning. But let me suggest to you, God never intended for that to weigh, for that's the way it would be. God intended for the family to be happy and joyful and together. But what do we do? We deal with what we have to deal with. That's the way it is. And since it's that way, here's, here's, the, out, here's the outburst of that. Kids often have a lack of respect because here's what happens. I'm just, I'm just sharing. Here's what happens. The dad vents against the mom, and the mom vents against the dad. And the dad says, this is what you ought to do. And mom says, no, you don't pay any attention to him. This is what you ought to do. And you say, let me tell you, that's reality today in our culture. Yes. So who gets caught in between? Children. Children. I read an article, and I thought it super interesting as related to Down syndrome children. 
And I thought, this is a tragedy that in Iceland, if you have a Down syndrome child and you're told during pregnancy that your child is Down syndrome, 100% of those that are told that they have a Down syndrome child abort the child, 100%. Denmark, 96%. In other words, if you're not a perfect child in that womb, you don't deserve to live. And their answer to that is we do not believe aborting a child of that nature is murder. Aborting a child of that nature really is giving liberation to the parents to be able to live a normal, routine life. Not only that, in France, it's 77% are aborted. The United Kingdom, it's 90%. In the United States of America, it's 67%, two-thirds of every couple that's told you have a Down syndrome child, abort the baby. Who is that about? That in itself shows the core of where our culture is at. And if you think that can happen, let me tell you what's next. And it's already there. You get too old. And you become a liability to your family. Keep them close. You become a liability to your family. And when life is not respected, then guess what? The easy thing to do is, hey, they've lived their life. They're in pain and they're in ailment. Let's do something so that they can go ahead and die. When I take in my hand the key to life and death, that's dangerous. But that's where the culture is headed in which we live. So what is the answer? In civil, in civil disobedience, here's what happens. Always the minority is the loudest voice. The minority, minority of those who are not happy, the minority of those that said we're going to take this, and the minority says we are bound together and we're going to do it. And that's what happened in Jesus' day. For when Jesus looked around after he had been sentenced to the cross, he looked around and he saw no one. They scattered Tomorrow in Los Angeles, California, a group of ministers from around the country. I just got back from out there, and I'm not going back. Not anytime soon. California's a wonderful place, in my opinion, a wonderful place. Route 66 is there. But they're meeting with this one question. What can the church do watching a nation that is in such disarray? And it's not, listen carefully, it's not politics. When you see behavior that is bitter, and you see behavior that is angry, and you see behavior that has no respect for authority, you see that kind of behavior, that's birthed right out of sin. 
sin rules. That's the behavior that is manifested. Sin. She can say, well, that's political, that group, and that right, and that left, and that. Let me tell you what it is, is sin. When a man or a woman and a church and a nation get their heart right with God, we'll begin to behave in unity in the name of Jesus Christ. If we turn from our wicked way, God says, I'll come down and I will heal your land. But that's what you have to do. How do we get there? So they're meeting tomorrow, and they're talking about it. I'm anxious to hear the result. I think I know what ours is. To hear the result of, in fact, from around the nation, those that are engaged in the process, well-known, influenced individuals, what's your answer? How do we do? If we're the church, what do we do? I can tell you, as it relates to Victory Church in this community, we have a great reputation. We have a great reputation. We have favor with our city council. We have favor with our commissioners. We have favor with our mayor. We have favor with the head of the county. We have favor with the sheriff. We have favor with the police department. We have favor with the fire department. We have favor with all of those people, my friend. When you mention Victory Church to any one of those, they don't have to say, where's that church at? They know where it's at. Why? Because we've simply endeavored to fulfill the commission of the gospel of Jesus Christ and help people and be available whenever that we needed to be available. If you ask the school system, what church do you have baccalaureate in? We go to Victory Church. If you ask the school system. When you have your uh, video awards, where do you go? We go to Victory Church. There is a reason. We don't want to be a museum. We want to be a trauma center that people can come and congregate gracefully under God and say, I like that church. And just maybe one day somebody might come back and find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we built that attitude We built that favor by the grace of God out of 20, going on 29 years. So here's what's in my heart. And looking in this week for a few moments, we're going to ramp up our prayer times. We're going to ramp it up because prayer, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But the method to be able to get the will of God moving is through the power of prayer. So we're going to talk about that. How does that relate in a real way? What do we do if we're going to talk about prayer? What action step can we take to pray? Pray, seek my face. And that's one thing. That's all I can tell you that I know in my heart of hearts that God is to pray. And pray and believe God that God will in fact just will, in fact, send a revival that will, in fact, heal our land by the grace of God. Heal our land. Heal our land. We have different methods and unique tools that we use to reach people, but all of them stand the scrutiny of the core values of what we believe in the Lord. If we don't settle who we are, if we don't latch on to what we truly believe, if we as a culture of church don't get together and nail that who is the Son, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If we don't nail that down, I know that we all have behavioral challenges. I know that. I, I can tell you, I don't know how many times you hear me say, well, lottery, bless God, and I kind of talk about it and say, you want to play 30%, but the reality is, why in the world do you need to play the lottery? 
But I understand that. I'm not going to chase you down because I need I, a whole lot of you do. And you hadn't won yet. Because we hadn't seen the 30%. How many know what, we're, what I'm trying to say? So we live right. We, we try to say, all right, God, what is it that I don't care what he says. That kind of attitude ought to scare you to death. I wanted to hear what the word of God says. So I know we're not chasing that. What I am saying is, God, I want to be so close to you. I want to listen to you because the things that confuse me and the things that frustrate me, if I stay faithful, you will help me work those things through. God, when I'm full of questions, if I just pay attention to you, you will work things through for me. And that's where I'm standing. So engaging the level of prayer, we're doing all we can in small groups, get in one, Bible reading. We did that the first of the year, but that's the big thing. That's the word God gave me. And then maybe our voice cannot be as silent as it has been in the past. Our voice has to be more vocal, not condemning, but our voice has to be more supportive of love because, listen carefully, friend, people truly are looking for someone to give them the right biblical angle when they see things in the paper, they see things on television, and it creates confusion, then they're asked the question, if the voice that I lean on to guide me spiritually is forever quiet, how will I know the truth? I guess those people over there are the ones who know. This is the answer. It's right here. Okay, I'm going to stop. i got about eight more pages, but I'm done. Stand up, please. Heavenly Father, thank you in Jesus' name for your word. I'm grateful that you do not fail. I'm grateful. I'm just grateful, God. If someone's here in this room tonight and they just know good and well that they are crossways, a good way to tell if you're crossways with God is if you're crossways with other people. If you're crossways with other people, chances are you're crossways with God. If you have no peace, you're probably crossways with God. If you're driving your own and piloting your own ship and it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying, you're probably crossways with God. And you need to tender that pride and humble yourself. Because here's what I know. God can humble you in a split second and make an environment for you to absolutely be flat of your back. Listen now. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation and these wonderful people. Now, just in case there's some of you that's not right with Jesus, maybe your heart's not in tune, and really, maybe you just have fallen down. Maybe you just are believing a lie. You see, I said this morning, the best way to begin change is tell the truth about you. What about you? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Is there anger, bitterness, resentment, pressure, hatred, all of that? Where do you think that came from? 
came straight out of hell. But it's not someone else's fault. It's you standing in need of prayer. But just in case, would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. me. I am sorry. sorry. I've made mistakes. mistakes. I humble my heart. And I am asking you, come into my life. life. Change my way. way. I will lean on you. I I surrender my will. I I give you my heart. I give you everything that I have. Now you lead. I ask in Jesus' name, as I repent, please forgive me. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. God can answer prayer, can he? He does. If you need prayer, if you have a family member that is blind, I believe right now as the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, some of you have family members that are absolutely blind to their own sin in their own wicked way. And I'm going to ask you, if God speaks to your heart right now, I'm going to ask you to step out of wherever you're standing and slip down and say, God, I'm bringing them down to this altar. And I'm going to rebuke the devil over their life, and I'm going to ask you to give them sight. And I'm going to ask you to let a divine anointing, even tonight, begin to work in their behalf, that they'll see you. And God, I'm going to love them and do everything that I can to be an open door when that moment comes that they surrender to Jesus. And if that's you and you need prayer in your body, you come right now as we sing. Would you do that?